There's no recording. Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 49. The third blessing of the page. In the Hebrew, it's Velam al-Shinim. Let there be no hope for informers. I'm going to quickly read through the entire blessing. Let there be no hope for informers. It's going to be a little, it's it's a bit of a um, strong lingo here, strong language that we're going to be using. Um, if, if in the event that anybody listening to this finds this offensive, too bad. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> bear with us. Just bear with us because we're going to unpack this. Okay. We're going to have a good time. Let there be no hope for informers, and may all the heretics and all the wicked instantly, instant, oh my God, my reading is horrible. And may all the wicked instantly perish. <laughs> may all the enemies of your people be speedily extirpated. And may you swiftly uproot, break, crush, and subdue the reign of wickedness speedily in our days. Blessed are you, Lord, who crushes enemies and subdues the wicked. Okay, let me give some context to this blessing. The Amida is often referred to as the Shemona Esrei, right? The Shemona Esrei means 18, because Ezra, in his rabbinical court, after the destruction of the first temple, when they first uh, formally penned prayer, uh, crafted this 18-blessing prayer. Now, if you count all the blessings in the Amida, there's actually 19. One of them were added later in history, and that's this one. This is, it wasn't added in order. This is the 19th blessing that's added. The blessing where we ask God to get rid of the heretics. Now, the commentaries do point out that getting rid of heretics doesn't necessarily mean them perishing. It might mean them doing teshuva. It might mean them repenting and then returning. But the point is, there is this blessing where we're asking God, please get rid of the heretics. And this was uh, this was penned several centuries after the Amida was formally penned. This was penned toward the end of the first uh, of the second Beit Hamikdash. So the first uh, the Amida was was compiled during the after the destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash. This was compiled. Hundreds of years, several centuries later. It was a time in history where the heresy, the informers, the adversity toward Judaism, internal adversity was so strong and was so painful. Internal adversity. You had Jewish people and they themselves were heretics. Deniers of their own religion were willing to fight jeopardize Jewish lives. These weren't just philosophical debates. You know, I don't agree with your philosophy. I hope you die. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> this was at the expense of the safety of the Jewish people. Rashi points out something fascinating. You know what Rashi says? You know what the historical context of this was? Which heretics are we referring to? We're referring to someone specific who existed toward the end of the second temple maybe a little bit after the second temple a heretic that made uh whose whose ideology really made it difficult for the jewish people none other than jesus of nazareth that's what rashi says 
it was Jesus of Nazareth and his ideologies that were causing the Jewish people so much harm. And like the Rambam writes, Maimonides writes that um, the ideology of Jesus, and although Christianity itself was only formulated many, many decades later, but the ideology that Jesus had, Maimonides writes, caused a lot of pain, pogroms, and, and devastation for the Jewish people as a whole for centuries, but especially at that time. And it was at this point in history where the Jewish people, where, where the sages, starting from Shmuel HaKatan, formulated this prayer. Asking God, please get rid of the heretics. We can't stand heresy anymore. We can't deal with it. What is a heretic? And why is heresy so bad? That we're wishing that God eradicates them. Why can't we just live and let live? I'm just going to say it. Live and let live is just not a Jewish thing. It really isn't. <laughs> Right there's either a right and a wrong, or there isn't, and this is an important. If 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 we believe in right and wrong, and and that's fundamental to Judaism, that there's a truth, then we got to say it. Heresy means denying God, or denying the validity of God's Torah, denying the divinity of God's Torah, not believing that the Torah is from Sinai, is God's the divine will. That's heresy. Let me take a step back. Maimonides compiled what's called the 13 principles of Jewish faith. 13 core Jewish beliefs. Necessary to be, quote unquote, um, kosher Jew, if you will. A Jew is a Jew, and a Jew can never lose their soul. But to be a spiritually trusted Jew, to trust that you are, <laughs> you know, you got to have, you got to believe in these 13 things, one of which are the existence of God, the unity of God. And a big part of it is the divinity of the Torah. Mashiach, the resurrection of the dead. But the, the Torah is divine. And anybody who denies that, it's considered to be a heretic. Jesus would fall under that category. Because Jesus, although Jesus, again, did not start Christianity. Christianity started many, many years later. Jesus founded um, this movement within Judaism to reform Judaism. Let's make it human-centered. Let's focus on love thy neighbor. Let's focus on feel good. Let's focus on being nice to people. All important parts of Judaism. But not God forbid at the expense of God himself. Don't worry if you um, did the rituals. Were you kind to people? But in that attitude, that liberal attitude, if you will, and I, I mean that in the literal sense, uh, extreme liberal attitude was destroying Judaism from the inside to the point that the sages were compelled to include this prayer as part of the Amidah to give the Jewish people some rest 
I got to tell you a story. In the early 1950s, when the Lubavitcher Rebbe first assumed his position, there was a journalist, a Jewish journalist named Dr. Krenzler. Dr. Krenzler was a Jew, but he was a self-acclaimed heretic. He wasn't a believer or didn't claim to be a believer, if you will. He was a journalist and he wanted to interview the Rebbe, and the Rebbe went for it. And he says to the Rebbe, I'm surprised that you're giving me the light of day, the time of day, because I'm a heretic. I don't believe. I don't believe in this stuff. I'm interested in interviewing you from a journalist's perspective, a social perspective. In terms of faith, I don't believe. I don't believe in the Torah. I don't believe in God. The Rebbe said to him, you're not a heretic. <laughs> you wish you were. I'm paraphrasing. You wish you were a heretic. You're not a heretic. You're not knowledgeable enough to be a heretic. You have to know what you're denying. <laughs> you didn't learn about God too much. You didn't learn too much about the Torah. You don't know what you don't believe in. You're not a heretic. You're ignorant. <laughs> he said it more respectfully, but you're not a heretic. You're just ignorant. He then told this person a story of his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe. The previous Rebbe also um, encountered particular... Uh, so somebody asked him for some sort of business advice. You don't usually ask rabbis for business advice unless they're really, really holy or really knowledgeable about business. But if they're not knowledgeable about business, they must be really holy. Otherwise, don't... you know. Don't ask me about business. I'm not that holy. I'm not that knowledgeable about business. They asked him some business advice and he gave it. And then the question was returned to this fellow. What about tefillin? Why don't you put on tefillin? I don't believe in that stuff. You're coming to me for business, which is not my field. Tefillin is my field. You're not going to take my advice. I don't believe. It's not that you don't believe. It's that you don't know. You don't know what you don't believe. And this is probably true, by the way, in most cases. Most, think about it. Most, think about most um, people that have a hard time believing in Judaism. They usually have a hard time believing the, in the Judaism they were raised with. Right. And you have people and you probably know people. We all know people that are intimidated to set foot in Chabad. Let's say I'm using Chabad as an example because that's very close to home. Right. Chabad seems very extreme from the outside. If you're unfamiliar, these guys with beards and black hats and fanatic and. I, I, I can't relate to those people. That's not true. You just don't know. You don't know them. 
They're nice people. They won't bite you. <laughs> Take a moment to know them. You'll see. You'll see. There was a famous story where a, an atheist came to the sage, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev. This was a religious atheist. He was he was proselytizing. And the rabbi says to him, you know, you and I have a lot in common. And he says, what are you talking about? We couldn't be further apart. You're a staunch believer. I'm a staunch denier. The rabbi says to him, that God that you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. Essentially, it's not that you don't believe; it's that you're just not educated. And you're you don't you don't believe in the wrong God. You can't be a heretic. <laughs> it doesn't work. There are very few heretics out there, especially these days. It's very difficult to be a heretic. However. Hasidic teaching teaches that we do have an internal heretic within. We're not heretics. We're believers. A Jew is a believer. Jews believe. Even the Jews who have difficulty believing, they have even more difficulty not believing. You will see this sooner or later, 100% of the time. Even the Jews who say they don't believe, have incredible difficulty not believing. Because we have a neshama, a Jewish neshama. How could it not believe in Judaism? And when it tries to not believe in Judaism, it's going to feel all sorts of confusion. Like that video we played a few weeks ago of, of that fellow who came to the rabbit proselytizing, right? became a Christian, and he was really Jewish. He, it, it, it ends up just hurting us. Because we want it so badly. Even if we don't believe, we want to believe. And we have a hard time not believing. There was a story I was about to say, and it just escaped my mind. Oh, man. Okay, just trust me. It was good. <laughs> it was a good one. It was great. Inspiring, right? We laughed. We cried. Where was I going with this? We we have an Ashama that wants to connect, that wants to believe. We have an internal heretic. We have an internal force, which is which allows space for heretical feelings, for doubt. My doubt is this empty space. We call this klipa. And what does klipa mean? We know this from our Tanya studies. Klipa literally means a shell, a husk, a peel. Were I to hold an orange here and say, what am I hold? What does this look like? You'd say it looks like an orange. Right? But what if I were to say, what is this? Not what does it look like, but what is this? What would the answer be? orange with sorry let me let me rephrase the question if i were to hold this orange and say what does this look like it looks like an orange peel right what is it it's an orange 
What you see is the peel. What it is, it's an orange. The peel just happens to be there, right? Kalipa distorts our perception of reality. So we see the peel. We see the we see the body. We don't see the soul. Right? A Kalipa perspective, an animal soul perspective, sees a handshake and sees a utilitarian touch. A deeper perspective would be, I see a business deal. I see a commitment. I see a um a greeting gest a, a, a greeting gesture. Kalipa distorts our vi our vi our perception on life, so we don't see the truth. We don't see the depth. So it's very easy to experience heretical feelings. It's very easy to experience doubt. It's very easy to doubt ourselves. <laughs> How can I do whatever mitzvah I may be struggling with? <laughs> How can I do that? It's impossible. That's not me. I'm not that type of person. Right? That's the klipa. And this blessing is saying, God, Get rid of that internal heretic. Get rid of that klipa. Because I have a soul that's on fire and that wants this. I want to connect. And God, you know I want to connect. You know I believe. You know I want to believe. And you know I'm in pain from not believing. I can't not believe. It just doesn't work. And Jews have been trying it. There's an article on Chabad.org from um, an excerpt from Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was Jewish, the father of psychology. Sigmund Freud ran away from his Judaism, and he writes in his article, and I'm paraphrasing, that he tries so hard to isolate himself from his Judaism and to run away because he just, for whatever reason, had a bad experience. And he says, it doesn't make sense to me. I can't explain this psychologically, but I just feel so Jewish. <laughs> I haven't engaged in Judaism. I haven't been educated in Judaism. I've done whatever I can to distance myself from Judaism. And I feel so Jewish. Why? And he can't explain it psychologically. What is he referring to? What is that internal part of us that pushes us to do things that don't always make sense? He's essentially describing the neshama. But that neshama is sometimes suppressed. Suppressed by klipa, suppressed by the animal soul. And there's two ways to get rid of klipa. We know this from the Tanya. There's two ways to get rid of klipa. You can either... Destroy it or elevate it. Depends on what it is. If it's something that is biblically prohibited, you can't elevate it. right? You can't say, we're going to serve pork for Kiddush and it's going to get people to come to shul. Let's elevate this, right? It doesn't work. It just won't work. It just doesn't happen. You have to... The way the only way you could do it is reject it. Totally reject the klipa. When it comes to something that's not trafe, not only food, but in general, life, where it's not evil, it's not prohibited. Pariv, right? It's not necessarily uh, inherently, it's not inherently sacred either. 
that you can elevate. There's nothing evil about steak, kosher steak. There's nothing inherently holy about it either. Okay, so now you have the opportunity to elevate that klipa, make a blessing, enjoy Shabbos, whatever it is, and, and, and elevate it. So take a look on okay, this, this blessing that we just recited. Look at the fourth to last line. Or the fourth line from the top also. Right? Where it says, let there be no hope for informers. So count four lines down. It starts with, and may you swiftly uproot. Do you see it? And may you swiftly uproot, break, crush, and subdue the reign of wickedness speedily in our days. Break, crush, uproot. That's referring to the type of clip that needs to be totally rejected. Subdue. Subdue the wickedness. That's the type of klipa that can actually be elevated. And we have a responsibility to know the difference. We have a responsibility to know in life what we need to reject and what we need to subdue. What we need to reject and what we need to elevate, dominate, control, conquer. Which battles are worth fighting? <laughs> And which battles are worth ignoring? That's why there's actually a tradition where when we recite the words, may you swiftly uproot, break, crush, we're supposed to pause and then say the word and subdue in the Hebrew. It's the third to last line of that paragraph. Umalchut harisha'ah, the holy, uh, sorry, the evil kingdom, meheira, quickly. To aker, uproot. Usushaber, um, break. Usmager, crush. Comma, right? Pause. Visachnia, and subdue it. We have to know what we're able to elevate and subdue and take control of, which parts of our life we're responsible for, and which parts of our life where I can't deal with this issue and I have to just reject it. I have a responsibility to get rid of klipa, and it's just a question of how, by ignoring it or by elevating it. And when we do, the neshama comes out, the neshama shines, and we feel this passionate desire to connect. What you're going to see right now is an incredible insight. This is incredible. It's a little bit esoteric, but I think we can hack it. This is amazing. Take a look at the Hebrew. First line of this prayer. And to all those informers, right? The internal inner heretics that we have within. Let there be no hope. So here's what the commentaries explain. Take at the take a word at the, take a look at the word tikva, which means hope. Let there be no hope. Slice that word in half. And it spells the word teak, which means like a, a bag or a casing. That's referring to the klipa. Klipa is that casing that desensitizes us, makes us uh, view things superficially. Vav and he. What's vav and he? The last two letters of God's name. God's name is the yud, the he, the vav, the he. 
And here's what the Kabbalists explain. This is this is amazing. We know this from Tanya. The Yud, e each letter of God's divine name represents a different um, part of our psychological selves. So Yud and Hey essentially represents the idea of thinking and understanding. That's what Yud and Hey represent. The Yud is Chachma. Chachma is that point, that idea. Hey is a larger letter. It's expanding on the Chachma. That's Bina. That's understanding. Vav is the is like a just a line. It's the extension of what we understand. Our feelings. Our feelings extend down. And Hey, the last Hey, the ability to express our feelings. So let's take a step back. We have the Yud and the Hey. Chachma, our um, openness to an idea. Humility, essentially. Hey, Bina, our understanding of that idea. I'm open to the truth. I understand the truth. What does Vav and Hey mean? I care about the truth and I'm willing to talk about it. And all too often, we know the truth. We understand the truth. We don't care about the truth. We do care about the truth, but we feel like we don't care about the truth. We feel like we don't care about the truth. There's a gap between the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. There's a gap between the two, and that's because of the Tik, the casing, the Klipa, that's surrounding the Va, the Vav and the He. So we say, God, Altahi Tik Va. Let there be no teak. Let there be no casing around the vav and the hay. That is desensitizing us from experiencing the truth. We know the truth conceptually. But we're having a difficult time connecting to it emotionally. Think about this. We know what we should be doing. We know that there's a truth. We know that there's a right and a wrong. We know that there's a Torah. But how much do we, but, but do we care? We all have situations in our lives where what we know doesn't always translate into how we feel. Right? I know Diet Pepsi is not that healthy. But do I care? Not really, unfortunately. Right? Maybe I will one day. A few people in the community are after me for this. If you're listening to this, uh-oh. <laughs> Right? I know it's unhealthy. That's the yud and the hey, I get it. But do I care? No, because there's a blockage around the vav and the hey. There's a teak. There's a casing, a klipa around the vav and the hey. I know what God wants from me. I know that I was created for a purpose and have a mission. And as a Jew, I'm here to be a lamplighter to the world, to teach the that there's one God and that there's a truth and that there's a purpose to creation and that there's meaning to existence. I know that. Why don't I feel that? If it's true, why aren't I feeling it? There's a internal heretic, the teak surrounding the vav and the hay. And we say, God, please get rid of that. Get rid of this obstacle. Get rid of this obstacle. I was just reading a um, 
a response from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. There's there's amazing letters. You know, in the in the 80s, the post office confirmed that the Rebbe had the mo second most amount of mail in the U.S., second to the president. Because people would write to the Rebbe for advice. People from all walks of life would be writing about all sorts of issues. Sometimes emotional, psychological issues, sometimes spiritual issues, sometimes issues in halach and Jewish law or other um, academic uh, questions. So there was this educator, a teacher who's writing to the Rebbe. And being a teacher, we know, is very difficult. If you're teaching children, it's very, very difficult. It's not easy. This person was complaining about the difficulties and about the challenges. And in the Rebbe's response, he said, you got to stop complaining. This is your mission in life. Your mission in life has challenges. Embrace the fact that this is your mission. The challenges will go away. The challenges, you having difficulty emotionally connecting, can go away once you know that there's a truth. And you know that this is the truth. Or in Tanya lingo, the mind rules the heart. Right? We want to align the heart with the mind, not align the mind with the heart. We want the heart to reflect what the mind knows. And this can't happen with this klippa, with this negativity getting in the way. We ask God, let it have no hope. Let there be no tik casing around the vavne. Okay, friends, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.